Good morning. And if you would like to just take your seats, we'll be starting in a few minutes. Um, who was here last night, if you want to raise your hand? Was that good? Who's here for the first time this morning? Okay, that's good. We've got a lot of woos. And it is wonderful to be together, and uh, we're going to have a, a great time today. And uh, our purpose is really to equip the body of Jesus with the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Well, and thank you for bringing that clarification, Eliezer. It's the Holy Spirit that imparts. We talk about impartation. We don't impart anything. It's only the Holy Spirit. But I want to tell you, the, the Holy Spirit's more and willing and able to do it than we are. So like, uh, expect a lot from God. Come with expectation because the Lord does want to do a great work in our lives this morning. Lord, we just thank you this morning and we thank you that you are with us. Your presence dwells within us, Lord. And we thank you, Lord, that we can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. And what I ask, oh God, this morning is that all of our hearts would be open and soft and ready and believing and able to receive. Thank you, Lord. And Lord, we ask that you will do above what we ask or think according to Ephesians chapter 3. You do above what we ask and think. And so, Lord, we ask for a lot because we believe you'll do even more. You're a good God. You're a gracious God. And this morning, first and foremost, before we even ask anything else, Lord, may we worship you. May you release your presence. We love you this morning. We commit this morning to you in Jesus' name. Be blessed, those who are joining us online. Welcome as well. God bless you. I invite you to stand with me for a worship song. Lord, we just come before you and we're so thankful. God, I pray that you just fill this place with your Holy Spirit and that you'll anoint us this day. Worthy is the Lamb, worthy 
the Lord God Almighty reigns. You reign, Lord. Hallelujah. Sing holy, holy, holy. Are you Lord God Almighty? pray that this morning you be magnified, you be glorified, that as we focus our eyes on you and as we hear this teaching this morning, God, that it will sink deep in our hearts. 
that we'll be able to hear from you in a new, fresh way, Lord, and that you'll speak to us. In your name, amen. Praise God, everyone. Am I on? Okay, good. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Everybody have a good night's sleep? I know I did. I hit my head on the pillow. I didn't wake up. I thought I was going to wake up early, and I, I just woke up instantaneously, so by the alarm. <laughs> Hallelujah, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Okay. Let's pray, and let's... Just expect God to continue to move in our midst. Lord, we just thank you right now. We thank you for all that you're doing in us. We thank you, Lord, for just what you've given us. We thank you that you sent us the Holy Spirit. And so we thank you, Holy Spirit, for moving in our midst. We thank you for who you are. We, we just appreciate all that you've done because your, your purpose is to glorify the name of Jesus Christ to fulfill the word of God. And so we thank you for that right now, in Jesus' name, amen. I always look at um, the Holy Spirit, you know, being, you know, God being three parts. I've, in my natural mind, it's sort of hard to picture how three, God can be one part, yet divide up into different parts and yet be one. But I, I think of it like in creation. Um, God said, uh, he created the heavens and the earth, and he said, let there be light. He spoke the word, and so as he, he was speaking that word, the authority came from him. Jesus is the word, so Jesus went forth, okay, and it said the Holy Spirit was hovering over the surface of the deep. It was the Holy Spirit that is the power behind the word. So I look at it as this, the, those three parts. is the Father is just the authority, the vision for the whole thing, he speaks the word who's Jesus, Jesus goes forth, and the Holy Spirit accomplish it. He's the power of God. And, and all three of them make up God. In my natural mind, it, I don't understand how that happens, but it does. And I'm so thankful that it does. So let's go on. We, we were talking about the, the, the gifts of the Holy Spirit that, that are in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 12. And we went through... The word of wisdom, the word of knowledge, discerning of spirits, and then we went through the gift of faith, and we're going to start today with the gift of healing. And I'm going to define for you the gift of, you know, uh, the gift of healing, but what is healing? Healing is curing a sickness, illness, or injury, such as a broken bone, something that needs repair. Okay, examples of this would be heart disease. Um, kidney disease, kidney failure, infections, cancer, broken bones, this kind of thing, okay? It does not, and we'll talk about miracles next, but it does not include if someone is born blind, because that's not a healing, that's a defect that wasn't there, and God restores it. And so, again, understand, you know, like if you don't have a limb and suddenly you have a limb, that's a miracle, because that's not healing, Healing is when you're sick, you have a problem, you have an illness, you have leprosy, and then God heals you. 
And so it's, it's important to understand the difference of what a miracle is because in reality, healing is a miracle, okay? But that's not the miracle that's being spoken of in the gifts of the Holy Spirit, okay? Um, as I stated yesterday, these gifts, the gift of healing and the gift of miracles, work together with faith because to see these things happen, we need faith. Jesus said, if faith is a mustard seed, you can say that this mountain be moved. And so we know that if we have faith, all things are possible. We just need to believe, only believe. It's a song we sing, only believe, only believe, all things are possible, only believe. And so we need to believe. Mark chapter 16, verse 17 says that we will lay hands on the sick and they will recover. So we do know that laying hands is an important part, and we know that the sick will recover, okay? And at the same time, it says, if any of you are, are sick, call for the elders, and they'll pray for you, and, and God will restore you. But that is not the gift of healing. That's something that we do all the time. If I'm sick, you know, I, ask, I call the church, I ask them to pray for me, and they pray for me, you know, and... I get better, I trust God, God's gonna do it. But the gift of healing is when God speaks a word to you and tells you that you know, you're gonna pray for this person or, and that person is going to get healed. Okay, that's, that's, it's something different. And it's important sometimes to, to understand these things because um, you know, we confuse so much of it and we mix everything up. And I think it's important that we understand that all of us are called to pray for the sick, but not all of us have the gift of healing. And so we need to see that, okay? Um, examples of healing. I'll just go through some of these so you understand. Matthew chapter four, verses 23 to 24. It said that Jesus healed the sick uh, and he went around healing the sick. It says he went around healing the sick. And many people came to him who were sick, and he healed them. And there are many scriptures on Jesus healing the sick. Um, and again, I, you can't go through all of them because there is a ministry on healing. And I could, te you know, I could teach on, on healing, and it'd be a whole seminar just on that. But again, here we're talking about the gift of healing. So let's see how it works. In Matthew, Mark chapter 6, verses 53 to 56, whole, the whole region... The whole region were carrying their sick to Jesus and he would lay hands on them and they would be healed. They would be healed. Wouldn't you like to see that now? I sure would love to see it. I mean, I'm a doctor and I can tell you I do a lot, lot of sickness. And sometimes, you know, being in medicine, you, I, I see it all the time. I see sickness and disease and, and, I, and, I, and I see a lot of death and you can sort of get dull to it. And I think many times we get dull to it until it hits us. And I think that the Lord wants us to be a people to bring healing to a world that has sickness and disease. And you know, and you look at modern times, we have all this medicine and everything, but people are still getting sick and people are still dying. We see that with the COVID. People, with all the knowledge and all the intelligence and all the information and all the science we have, people are still dying from sickness and disease. And we need Jesus to heal us. Acts chapter 5, verses 12 to 6. Peter and the apostles, it said, were doing many healings. 
Okay, they were praying for many people and they were getting healed. Okay, and I, but I want to use one example, okay, um, which is Jesus healing the lepers. Okay, we know the story of Jesus going forth, you know, and the lepers came to him and the, there, there, were, there were 10 lepers that came to him and they said, Jesus, heal us. And so he, he, he listened and he prayed for them. Again, now, Jesus moved in all the gifts. And he prayed for them, and they were healed. And it's interesting that when he talks about this particular, particular episode, it talks about how there were some that returned and said, thank you. <laughs> yeah. And he said, you're, you're, you're healed. You're delivered. You're set free from this. And, and again, leprosy is a bacterial infection. You know, they didn't know what it was in those days. They just knew that it was a disease and your parts of your body were going to fall off. And when I was in Brazil, I went to a leper colony and we had a medical clinic there. And these people had already had leprosy, but they had missing body parts and people would not go there because they were just afraid of the leprosy. And we had to start at a clinic, you know, the clinic there. And those people did not have Jesus. And many of them got saved when they heard the word of God. And so again... Know this, and I really mean this very sincerely. Moving in the gifts is good. But the purpose is, is to bring people closer to Jesus Christ. It's to build up the body. When, when I've seen miracles take place, when I've seen healings take place, and I saw many healings take place when I was in Brazil that particular time, it was for the purpose of glorifying the name of God. And these people were healed and they received Jesus Christ. And there were hundreds of people that received Jesus Christ during that time. And it was God going forth and bringing forth healing ministry to them. And so look at it, is that, is that and, and this can, you can move in this gift anywhere. You don't have to wait for church. You don't have to wait for church. I mean, there have been times, like there was one time uh, I was in Mexico. And I went to the store to buy a gift to bring home. And while I was there with the checkout stand, um, I, I felt prompted of the Lord to just talk to the person that was the checker. Yeah, check, you know, she's checking me out. I didn't speak much Spanish. I didn't speak Spanish as well as I do now. And I, I spoke to her, and um, I got someone to translate for me. And the Lord had a word for her, and she needed healing. And the Lord brought that to her, and she just started weeping right there at the checkout stand. You know, I, I was a little nervous. I said, well, I don't know. Don't create a commotion now. <laughs> you know, but God touched her. But the idea being, it's not just for the church. It's for everywhere. Okay, so again, um, um, let's, let's turn to Acts chapter 8, verses 7 to 10. And I want to read that particular scripture because this is Paul moving in the gift of healing. And in this particular um, chapter, in, in, verse, in verse 7, chapter, chapter 28, verse 7, it says, Now, the neighborhood of the palace uh, of the place were, were lands belonging to the leading man of the island, and his name was Publis, who welcomed us and entreated us uh, courteously three days. And it came about that the father of Publis was lying in bed afflicted with recurrent fever and dysentery. So he had a, a sickness. He had a disease. 
Okay, and Paul went in to see him, and after he prayed, he laid his hands on him and healed him. Okay, Paul didn't do the healing. The Lord did the healing. But Paul had faith, and God spoke to him. He went to that man, and, and, and he got healed. Okay, um, and after this had happened, the rest of the people in the island, now just think about what will happen here. When God starts moving in the gift of healing, God starts moving in this gift, the same thing's gonna happen here. And after this had happened, the rest of the people in the island who had diseases were coming to him and getting cured. Because they heard about one particular thing. Because God performed one particular healing, and now everybody started coming and God was healing them. Okay, and it, you know, it says that, and they also honored us with many marks of respect. And when we were getting to sail, they supplied us with all we needed. See, it's, that's what happens. I want you to know something. When you move in the gifts, God is going to glorify his name. And when he glorifies his name, people are going to respond. They're going to change. Someone who may be greedy suddenly will want to give you everything they have. Why? Because they've experienced the power of God in their lives. And I believe all of us need to experience the power of God in our lives, but this is healing. This is, this is, this is basically what one of the gifts, the gifts of healing. And I know how many people say, oh, I want the gift of healing. I want the gift of healing. Well, it's good to ask for it, but God will give it to you as he feels it's necessary. And I think that's the important thing. You know, we all want to see the power of gifts, but God wants all the gifts flowing, and he wants us to be open to be used of him by however he chooses to use us. And so that is the gift of healing. Now, let's go on to miracles, okay? Now, now these gifts are pretty obvious. I mean, you know, somebody needs to be healed. We need the gift of healing, to, to see this person healed. And same thing, there needs to be a miracle in your life, okay? These are supernatural. The definition is these are supernatural occurrences that cannot happen except by the direct hand of God. That's a miracle. It, it can't happen. You know, healing, you wait long enough and your cold will go away. Not always, you know, but the, the idea being is, is that healing is a process. Your body, God gave us a hum, immune system, thank the Lord, and, and that fights against bacterias and infection. I mean, the immune system is an amazing thing. And sometimes that immune system is broken down and we get sickness and disease. You know, most people get better from a cold, but there are people that don't. Most people are getting better from COVID, but a lot of people don't. God wants to bring healing to all his people and to all the people. Okay. Okay, so these are, basically, these are, uh, are things that occur such as defying gravity. You cannot walk in the air. You cannot be transported like, like Philip. You know, when Philip was ministering to the Ethiopian eunuch, and he was here, and suddenly he wasn't, and he was somewhere else, like, like, like Star Trek. <laughs> and I've heard of, of, of testimonies of people being transported. Okay, and so, you know, people say, oh, that's a little far-fetched. What, is there anything too far-fetched for God? So God could do anything. God could pick me up right here and move me to China and pick me up and move me back. And that's not far-fetched for God. It's not far, I mean, it's far-fetched in terms of science fiction, 
But in terms of God, there's nothing impossible. Jesus was being, you know, at the end, Jesus went up. They were looking up, seeing him go up into the sky. He was flying. You don't need to be Superman to fly. You just need Jesus telling you what to do. You need the power of the Holy Spirit to cause you to fly. That's what he wants. And so you can walk on water. That's a supernatural occurrence. You can't defy gravity, but God can defy gravity. He doesn't do it all the time, but sometimes he needs to defy the natural order of things because the natural order of things protects us. But he, but he, wants to, he needs to defy it sometimes to perform a miracle because it needs to be done. Okay, so a miracle is defying gravity, controlling the weather. That's what Jesus did, right? I mean, I've got a testimony of that myself. When I was a youth pastor back in New York, we were going to a place called Great Adventure, which is a Six Flags place. And we had all the kids gathered. We had two cars of kids. And they're all going, oh, it's raining. We don't want, you know. And I said, well, let's just trust God. I mean, Jesus hushed the storm. Why can't we hush the storm? And they're, yeah, 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 you know. <laughs> yeah, and so we're going, and the group that was in my car with me, we, I said, well, let's just pray and trust God. Let's have faith and believe that he will, he will hush the storm. And so the rain, the rain was still going. We arrived there, and all of a sudden, we, we prayed most of the way there, and, and, the, and the rain started to stop. By the time we got into the park, there was no more rain, and the sun was coming out. And it was nice because there was no crowd. <laughs> and it was Christian day, you know, so they had a Christian concert, and they were afraid they were going to get wet at the concert. It was beautiful, a beautiful time. And afterwards, I said, well, what do you think about God? Because a lot of kids were not believers that came with us. And they go, well, I mean, you know, they was like, well, yeah, the, the weather stopped. I said, yeah, you weren't, so think you weren't thinking the weather was going to stop. So what do you think now? And a couple of kids got saved that, that, you know, that day. Uh, you know, at, at, that, at, at that amusement park, you know. But the idea being is, is that God wants to perform miracles. Well, that's a miracle because I cannot control the weather, okay? And, you know, and then um, it's making something out of nothing, which God can do. You don't have a limb and suddenly the limb is there. He makes nothing out of nothing. You're blind because you're, you're born without a cornea or you're born without whatever it may be and he gives you a new one. That's, that's creation, again, and that's, that's supernatural miracle. These, you know, again, that goes on, these include raising the dead, restoring hearing to those born deaf or sight to those born blind, walking on water, multiplying food. That's another miracle, right? Multiplying food and calming the storm. These, again, occur with supernatural faith, okay? And let's go through some of these examples. We talked about it yesterday. Matthew chapter 14, verses 15 to 21. Jesus fed the 5,000. We talked about it through faith, but again, these work together. Jesus believed, he gave thanks, and it happened. God wants that to happen in our midst. We need to be expecting miracles to occur. We know in Matthew chapter 14, 22 to 23, right after he fed the 5,000, we see that he's walking on the water and Peter does the same thing. Again, that's a miracle. Okay, how many of you would say, hey, Jesus, if that's you, call me to come over and you start walking on the water. And yet that's exactly what he wants us to do. 
He wants to perform miracles for us. And he wants us to have faith to believe those miracles can happen. He wants those mountains moved in your lives. I tell you, it was a miracle when my uncle got saved because I ministered to him for, for close to 40 years. And he thought I was crazy. His, his, my aunt said I was a Bible thumper. You know, I mean, I was just kind of, and I would keep, I kept persisting. I kept persisting. And after a while, it was like just a routine. And then when he was 96 and a half, I went to visit him. He was in a, um, first he went to assisted living, and then he went to a, a group uh, nursing home because he was pretty weak, but I would still be able to take him out to eat. And I took him out to eat, and we were just sitting here eating. He said, were you going to ask me the question? I said, what question? He said, aren't you going to ask me the question you always ask me? I said, what's that? <laughs> he said, aren't you going to ask me if I want to be a believer? I said, okay. Do you want to receive Jesus Christ, your Lord or Savior? He says, I'm, yes, I'm ready right now. <laughs> I mean, I wasn't expecting it that day. And so he got saved. And it was about eight months to a little, little maybe up to a year before he passed away. God did it. God is long-suffering, desiring that none should perish. To me, that's a great miracle. Because here was someone who was a, an agnostic, someone who was an extreme intellectual, was an engineer. He, he, he designed the space capsules for Gemini and, you know, and, and all that kind of stuff. So he was very intellectual. And he was a, a writer for radio for many years. It was a miracle. And so don't lose heart. God wants to perform miracles in your life, but there are times when God wants to perform a special miracle. And that special miracle, God wants to use you in that gift. John chapter 11, verses 38 to 44, Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead. That was a miracle. And see, he, he was dead to the point where he smelled. They had already closed up the tomb. They wrapped him up, and Jesus opened up the tomb, and they said, oh, why do you want to do that? It smells in there now. If you ever smell the dead body, you don't want to smell it, okay? I've smelled it before. You don't want to smell it. It smells bad, and you don't want to ever remember that smell. So here he is telling them to open up the tomb, and he's saying, do you believe? Oh, we believe in the resurrection. no. That's not what I'm saying. Yes, I know you believe, but do you believe? And he wept because, not so much because of how much he loved, which they thought, oh, he loved Lazarus. No, he was weeping because he saw a people that really had no understanding. And he wept for them. And then he spoke the word and said, Lazarus, come forth. And Lazarus came forth. And then he said, unbind the man. And he gives him something to eat because he's hungry. He hasn't eaten for several days. The idea being here is that God wants to perform those kinds of miracles. Are, is every one of us going to perform them? I would that all of us would, just like Paul said, I would that all you prophesy. But I believe that God will use individuals and, and someone else will have supernatural faith to really believe that it's going to happen. And someone else, God is going to speak to them and he's going to say to them, this person is going to be raised from the dead. Now you're going to have to step out in faith and you're just going to have to believe the word of God. No matter how anxious or nervous you might be, you say, well, that's your business, God. You spoke to me. I'm trying to get rid of it. It's not going away. So that, so that, so, so that means I've got to do it. If it doesn't happen, it's not my fault. It's your fault. 
It's your word. And if I made a mistake, well, I made a mistake. We move on. And see, that's the thing is that we're afraid of moving in the gifts of the Spirit because we're afraid that we're going to make a mistake. I love God because he gives us makeup tests. <laughs> you never really truly fail in the kingdom of God. You just get another opportunity. Israel in the Old Testament went around the mountain 10 times and failed and they didn't, that generation did not enter their promised land. I thank God that we've got Jesus Christ now so I get as many makeup tests as I need. And when you start stepping out of faith, you may, you may make a mistake. You just, that's the, and then people stop moving in the gifts because they're afraid they made a mistake. Now I say to someone like that, I say, oh, it, don't worry about it. God will use you again, and he'll start speaking to you, and you'll start honing in on knowing when it's his voice and when it's your voice. And the more you do that, the more you learn the voice of God, the more you know the voice of God, the more you know how to respond. And so I say, get up and do it again. You made a mistake? Well, that's my job. I shovel. That's my responsibility. I do the shoveling. You do the, the life, and I'll do the shoveling. And eventually, people start moving in the gifts and things start happening. But we, have, we in leadership, and I want to encourage those in leadership here, don't be afraid of having to shovel. Encourage, strengthen, correct, and we all need to learn how to be corrected and not stop because we made a mistake. But to learn from our mistake and move forward. You know, it's a, I was saying in medicine we do, I was telling Harvey how we do things in medicine, and I believe we need to do this in the church. So we, we stop, you know, we need to release people. We just say, see one, do one, teach one. You saw the chief resident or whatever who was over, overseeing you do a procedure. So you went in with him, he showed you how to do it. The next time, he brought you in with him, and you did it, and he showed you how to do it while you were doing it. The next time, you're showing somebody else. That's pretty simplified, but that's what we need to do. And we need to stop being afraid, but start stepping out in faith. And I'll tell you, when you put your foot in the water, in the Jordan, go across the river. It's a big rushing river. Go across the river, but you got to put your feet in first. Oh, I don't know. Start walking. It didn't, well, it hasn't receded yet. Just keep walking because that's what God told you to do. And you keep walking and suddenly the river dries up and you walk on dry land. That's for us. That's a principle that we need to learn is that we have to stop being afraid. But be confident that God is with you. And if you make a mistake, he picks you up and says, keep going. So don't worry about mistakes. Hallelujah. I get a little caught up with that one. <laughs> How about the miracle of Paul being bit by a snake? And that was not someone praying for him, but it was just God doing a miracle. Because he was bit by a very poisonous snake, probably an ass. Maybe a cobra, I don't know, in that region. You know, and he, he puts his hand in the wood to get the wood, and the snake bites him. He throws it off and keeps going. Because he's got confidence in the Lord. And all the natives are looking at him. The islanders are looking at him, waiting for him to die. He doesn't die. 
He just keeps doing what he's doing. And they're amazed, and they hear the word of God, and they get saved. These miracles bring people to God. The the feeding of the 5,000 brought people to God. The raising of the dead brought people to God. It opened their eyes to see, to receive. Paul raised Eutychus from the dead. That's in Acts chapter 20, verses 9 to 12. I mean, Paul, you know, Paul was was a, a mighty, powerful man of God. Okay, I use this example a lot because it's so important for us to understand how we need to be the normal Christian life, needs to expect these things. Here Paul is ministering the word of God, and he's long-winded. I mean, he's like preaching all night long because he's going to be leaving, and who knows if he's going to be preaching there again. He's preaching in the upstairs in the house. Young man was sitting in the window <laughs> And he, you know, he's because it was pretty crowded, you know, crowded, you know, small group, home group. And he's in the window, and suddenly he falls asleep and falls out of the window. Well, Paul didn't get into a panic mode. It was the normal Christian life for him. He'd already seen so much. He goes downstairs. I'm sure that you know the person broke their neck and whatever. They were dead. He just picks him up. The guy gets up. They're all amazed. There's a reason why that story is told to us. And then he goes back upstairs and he preaches, keeps preaching like nothing's happened. And just keeps going for more hours before he leaves. How many of us would be willing to do that? To just just keep going, keep our stride. The miracles happen and we keep our stride. He wasn't caught up with the miracle. He was caught up with God. And we need to be caught up with God. Peter raised Tabitha from the dead. So it wasn't just Paul, it was many people that were being raised from the dead. Acts chapter 3, verses 1 to 10, Peter and, and John are going to the temple, and there's a man who's lame from birth. Now, this is interesting. You've got to do what God has called you to do. And Jesus did that too. He said, I only do what I see my father doing. Now, Jesus went to the temple at least three times that we know of. He never healed this man. He said he was at the temple gate every day. So that means Jesus passed by that man, but he didn't heal him. He didn't perform the miracle in his life because it wasn't the Father's desire for him to do that at that particular moment. But it was for Peter and John to do it. So they're there, and they say, well, I don't have gold, I don't have silver, you're begging, but what we have, we'll give to you, it's Jesus Christ. Get up and walk. And they not only did they get up and walk, but they grabbed him. God performed a miracle, the gift of miracles for them. And they yanked him up. (laughs) <laughs> and he started walking and jumping and praising God, and he presented himself in the temple, and they didn't, they didn't know what to do about that. All he said, oh, <laughs> these guys come through, and I got healed, and I'll tell you, I want to receive what, he, what they had. Again, miracles may cause an uproar, but people will come to Jesus Christ when we start moving in the gift of miracles. Hallelujah. Oh, I get all excited about this. You know, there's a couple of miracles that I found were interesting. In Matthew chapter 21, verses 18 to 22, it's Jesus and the fig tree. You know the story, right? That Jesus, you know, went to, you know, was coming to town and he was hungry. He went to a fig tree. It was supposed, it should have been giving fruit during that period of time. It wasn't. And so he cursed that fig tree. And the disciples didn't think much about it. And he says, oh, he cursed that fig tree because it has no, and then they just went on, did their thing. And they came back. And they saw the fig tree withered to nothing. 
And they were in amazement. <laughs> and Jesus said, you need to believe. You need to believe. All, all things are possible. Jesus said to us, greater things than these you shall do. I can't imagine what's greater. I can't imagine salvation for the world that God is using us as something that's great. He used us to bring the gospel to the entire world. He's using us to bring the gospel to the entire world, and he wants to move in the gifts to help people see that the word of God is true, and not only are we speaking the word, but the signs and wonders are following us, and the power of God is following us just like it did with Paul. It needs to be the same with us. And then he says to them, well, if you have faith as a mustard seed, you can say this mountain, be moved and be moved. What has that got to do with the fig tree? What he's saying is, if you believe what you're speaking, it will happen. And so, yes, there needs to be supernatural faith moving in the gifts, okay? But when, you, when God speaks that word to you and says, I want to perform that miracle through you, you still have to believe that he wants you to do it. There may be that supernatural faith to believe that it's going to happen because God gave that to someone, but you need to still stand up and say, I'm going to do this. That requires faith. And believe that God will fulfill the word. When Jesus hushed the storm, he spoke the word and believed, and it was fulfilled. He told the storm to be hushed. Faith on the spoken word of God produced a miracle. All I can say to you is that you need to, 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 to see that God wants to use you in these things and you need to know it is not you. I'll say that again, it is not you. We, we are, we're people and we have a tendency of wanting to, you know, I mean, all of us, whether we believe it or not, want to be Sort of, yeah, did a great job. We need that. You know, self-esteem, we need that. You did a great job. But we need to not hear that. That The most important esteem we need to get is God saying to us, hey, Alan, you did a great job. Keep up the good work. And I say, well, it's all you, Lord. Said, That's why you did a great job, because I got all the glory and credit, and you got none. I'll be able to use you more because it's not you doing it, it's me. All you are is a vessel. And I think that's what all of us need to get the attitude of is that it is the work of God. Okay, let's move on because we got a lot, you know, prophecy is one I want to uh, um, go on a little bit because I think it's important for us. We get confused with this. We look too much to prophecy and we don't depend as much on God doing things in our lives. We want to hear a word from a prophet when in reality God is trying to tell you, I want you to hear the word from me. That requires relationship. And so many times we depended upon someone else doing the work for us. And God is telling us all, it's time for you to start hearing the word of God for yourself. So the, prophet, you know, the, the gifts of exhortation all work together. They're, they're pretty much um, the same gift. Because when you talk about the gift of, of prophecy, and the gift of tongues, and the gift of interpretation of tongues, tongues, I look at it as those tongues are a prophecy in another language. And it's, it's to be witness to the world, witness to non-believers, because there needs to be one who interprets that. 
So it's like me getting up here and getting up in Mexico and India and preaching the word, and I've got a translator. And so when we speak in the tongues of angels and in the, the tongues that we don't know, and it's for the edification of the body of Christ, what do we do? Well, we need to have a translator. Otherwise, it's just a bunch of gibberish. So again, you know, these all work together. So what I want to do is help us to understand prophecy, the prophet, Old Testament, New Testament, so you can understand how God is working today and how the prophetic word works, okay? The Old Testament prophecy and the prophet, okay? In the Old Testament, the prophet was called a seer. The prophet was called a seer. In 1 Samuel chapter 9, verse 9, it said, you know, that the, the, you know, the, the prophets could see God's plan. And God would tell, you know. You know, in Amos, it says that, that, that God doesn't do anything unless he first tells his prophets. And so he would tell the prophets. So the prophets would know God's plan. The Old Testament prophets were God's communicator. In Exodus 20, verses 18, Israel said to Moses, you go and communicate with God for us because we're afraid. God wanted to talk to all his people. <laughs> he, wa- he wanted, okay, have, you know, I want to talk to all of them. They said, oh, we heard that thundering. We hear all that rumbling. We see all that fire. You go, Moses, because you got the faith for it. And you speak, hear God, and then you hear from God, and then you tell us. And that's what the prophet did. God would give his plans to the prophet, and the prophet would be a communicator to Israel. You know, in 1 Samuel chapter 3, verses 1 to 9, again, these are scriptures you can look up yourself because we don't have time to read each one. God spoke to Samuel and told him his plans. Told him his plans. And Samuel communicated them to Eli. Now, Eli knew what he, what, he was not walking with God. And so Eli, when he, when he heard it, he said, yep, that's the word of God. <laughs> I'm surprised he didn't want to change, but that's what he heard. And so, again, Samuel heard the word of God and then communicated it to Eli. In 2 Samuel chapter 2, chapter 12, verses 1 to 15, Nathan the prophet communicated to David God's word in the situation with Bathsheba. That's what a prophet did, okay? The prophet moved, okay, in, in, in prophecy. The prophet moved in a word of knowledge. He revealed what was going on in David. That was a word of knowledge. That was information that was exposed in David's life. You know, when we say, I want that prophet to pray for me. You know, them presbyteries before, it's when we, people pray and fast, and then we gather together with those particular people, and then the word, God gives prophetic words to them. You better be ready. Because God may expose things that you think are hidden that nobody knows, but there is nothing hidden from God. And if you want to hear from a prophet and you really want to hear, he may open up some things that maybe you don't want to hear. So be, you know, (laughs) it's like, oh, I thought I had that hidden. No, there's nothing hidden from God. And sometimes he'll do that if you're prepared and ready so that God can change you. He won't do it to tear you down. And there are many prophets who will tear you down. But I'm telling you now, that's not God's plan for you. It, you know, now, exhortation, 
and we'll get into this a little bit, exhortation is, also, is positive, but it's also negative in a way. It'll exhort you to change. Exhort you to move in a different direction. But it's all to build you up so that you can fulfill the purpose that God has for your life. So, the types of communication that God gave to the Old Testament prophets, the future was foretold. Examples are all in the, the, you know, in, in the book of Isaiah. Isaiah prophesied all kinds of things about the future. Prophesied the future about Israel. Prophesied the future about us. Prophesied the future about the Messiah. It was all about prophesying about the future. Okay, Jeremiah, uh, in the book of Jeremiah, he would prophesy about Israel and what was going to happen to Israel. Talk about even restoring Israel and bringing them back, but it was prophecy about Israel. It was prophecy about the future. And in the book of Daniel, prophecy about the end times. Worked in real conjunction with John. John had vision. Daniel had vision. You need to put those two together and you can understand the end times. But the idea being is that God will use the prophet to speak about the future. He did that in the Old Testament. 1 Kings chapter 13, verses 1 to 32. It's the story of, of, of a man of God. The story of the man of God. He never had a name. I always wonder why he never had a name. But he never had a name. He prophesied about Josiah coming 400 years in advance. And he prophesied what God would do to that altar of Baal. And man, 400 years later, guess what? There was a man called Josiah. He, he actually called the man by name. There will be someone by the name of Josiah who will come 400 years from now and destroy this place. And that's exactly what he did 400 years later. We'll get back to this in a minute because I want us to understand because in this prophet, there are many different aspects of moving in the prophetic ministry. Isaiah 53, coming on the Messiah. Joel chapter 2, verse 28. I love this one. The future outpouring of the Holy Spirit. Hallelujah. See, in those days, the, in the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit was poured out on particular individuals. You know, we had Elijah and we had um, even the Spirit of God came down upon, upon Saul and he started prophesying. But it was not like a routine thing where everybody, but, but now it says in the, in the end days, I will pour out my Spirit upon all mankind. And you're, you, you know, there'll be visions, and there'll be dreams, and there'll be prophecy. Hallelujah. We need to start moving in that. His spirit is upon all mankind, upon us. No longer is it for the pastor or the, or the prophet or the, 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 the evangelist or the, the, the teacher or the apostle. It's for everybody. I want, us to, I want that to sink in. It is for you. You need to move in the power of the Holy Spirit. You need to be moving in the gifts. It's not about depending upon, well, let the pastor do it. Let the elders do it. No, you, they're there for one purpose, to help you 
fulfill the call that God has in your life, for you to start stepping out and moving in the gifts of the Holy Spirit. And, and, and Elias is going to talk later about how we can actually put these into function, how we can actually use these. Because I really believe that if we can know about it, but if all we do is know about it, so what? You know, you know, people don't like James because it's like, oh man, he's not a man of, no, he's a man of action. And his word, we need. You show me your faith without your works, and I'll show you my faith by my works. What does that mean? It means that I'm working and I'm working and I'm working. No, it means that what I speak and what I share in faith, I'm doing. Are we doing that in the church? Hallelujah. Hallelujah. And so we see that in Joel, he said that in the future, you'll pour out the Holy Spirit. Hallelujah. Number two, the prophet would bring forth repentance. He would speak repentance to the people, a warning. I don't know how many times the, the prophets would say, do this and God will bless you. Stop doing this and God will bless you. He would tell them, and they would say, no, we take that prophet out, and they get the other prophets come in here what they want to hear. They tickle the ears. Oh, I'm going to find me a prophet who will give me what I want to hear. And don't we do that in the church today? Oh, I don't want to hear that. I'll wait, and I'll go to this one and that one and this one until we hear what we want to hear. No, you need to hear God. And that's why it's important for you personally to be in relationship with God, because God's not going to speak to you just through a prophet. A prophet may, may minister to you, but unless you're in relationship with the Lord, you're not going to really hear clearly what God is saying in your life. So in Jonah chapter 3, verses 1 to 10, we all know the story of Jonah. He goes to Nineveh. He didn't want to go there because he said, what if they repent? <laughs> then I'll be a false prophet. Because he, he preached that the city would be destroyed. And sure enough, they repented just as he thought they would. And God relented just because he knew God. The problem is he became angry with God because he was worried about himself. What people will think about me. And I don't see Jonah being used any other time. God, I mean, he tried not to go. I mean, when God wants you to go, you better go. You get swallowed by a fish. And then, and then, and then you get spit up on the land where you don't want to be. Because that's where he wants you to be. So we need to be responsive to the word of God and not worry about what's going to happen. You just do what God tells you to do. And so we see that he called the people and told them what was going to happen. They repented and God relented. In 2 Chronicles chapter 7, verse 11 to 6, we hear this scripture all the time. And that was specifically for Israel during this time. It says, if my people repent, humble themselves, seek God and pray, I will hear and listen and forgive and heal. That was a prophetic word. Now, many times we use that prophetic word for our time today, but we need to hear a prophetic word for now for us, not depend upon old prophetic words. They're good. They was good for that time, but God is speaking to us to do something different. We, we but sometimes we take the old and we keep using it and using it and using it. God is, God is the same yesterday and today forever, but he's causing, he wants us to change. We change, he doesn't. We change, he doesn't. But he's molding us and shaping us 
daily into the people he wants us to be. And so again, this was calling people to repentance. Then the prophet would bring blessing. In Deuteronomy chapter 11, verses 26 to 28, we see that the pro, you know, um, Moses was telling Israel, um, he gave them a blessing and he gave them a warning. If you do all these things, if you follow the law, you follow all the things that God has given you, you will go into the land, you'll be fruitful, and you will multiply, and there'll be blessings. Look at the grapes, you know. They'd never seen grapes, you know, probably big, like, probably like apple size. I mean, they were huge. They brought them back. They had to carry them on their shoulder. The grapes were so big. The land was fruitful and, and was plentiful. And God said, go and take, I'm just giving it to you. They didn't have, it was already being tilled for them. It was already prepared for them. And he said, just go and take the land. All I ask that you do for the blessing is just follow my law. Now, God knew that we would have a hard time, that they would have a hard time following the law because they need Jesus Christ to do it. All men sin and fall short of the glory. And so, again, the idea being there was a blessing and the curse. And so they, under, you know, they knew about it they didn't do it, but they knew about it, and they ended up getting blessed when they did, and they ended up receiving the curse when they didn't. It's just, just the fact. God was just basically telling them what was going to happen, but he was pronouncing a blessing upon them, a blessing upon them. Isaiah 58, verses 11 and 12, talks about the restoration of Israel. And so the prophet would talk about restoration and how to restore the prophet would expose sin. In Micah chapter 3, and let's turn to that one. Micah chapter 3. We see that um, Micah, says, and all the prophets, would expose sin. Micah chapter 3, verse 8. On the other hand, I am filled with power, with the spirit of the Lord, and with justice and courage to make known to Jacob his rebellious acts, even to Israel his sin. Now you think about that. Why would the prophet expose sin? It was not to say, you're bad, too bad. It was to get the people to repent. Get the people to change. Get the people to see that what they were doing was wrong, and if they want the blessings of God, you've got to turn from your sin. Now, praise God, we've got Jesus Christ. <laughs> Hallelujah. I don't think I could have lived very well in the Old Testament. I'd be like condemned all the time because, oh, I fell short again. Oh, need the blood. Need the, every year you got to go up and, and give offerings on the altar. And Yom Kippur, you know, you go up and, and you give offerings. And then the, 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 the scapegoat would go into the wilderness. And every year you had to do the same thing over and over again. Hallelujah. No more. We need to say hallelujah to that. No more. But it was the prophet who exposed that sin. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Hallelujah, Lord. The prophet would expose the sin of Israel. And to me, that is like, of all, it's like God, God sees. You know, the scripture, what does it say? It says, 
all things are, are, are revealed, open to him with whom we have, to, with, with whom we have to, um, to live with. And he exposes everything. There is nothing hidden from God. Nothing hidden from God. Okay, let's talk about New Testament prophecy and prophets. I mean, I could go on and on about, about Old Testament prophets, but I think it's important for us to understand what the old was and to understand what the new is. Okay, New Testament prophecy and prophet. Okay, the gift of prophecy. For told by Joel, it is for everyone, not just for the prophet. That's in Joel chapter 2, verse 28. The purpose, okay, this is the purpose of prophecy. It is a word from God to edify, exhort, and console. To edify, exhort, and console. You know, which is basically to comfort us. Okay, and it's to comfort the church, to build up the church, to encourage the church, not for direction or to tell something what to do. I'll say it again because I don't know how many people come up to me and say, I need a word from God to tell me what to do. I said, well, pray. <laughs> Read the word. Be in relationship with God. He doesn't want to, he's, a prophet is not going to tell you what to do. Jesus will tell you what to do. So it's important for us to be in relationship to the Lord. You know, it's, you know, and that's in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verses 3 to 5. Let's, let's turn, because we're going to be in that scripture a lot. So turn to chapter 14. Um, in verse 3 to 5, it says, But the one who prophesies speaks to men for edification, exhortation, and consolation. One who speaks in a tongue edifies himself, but he who prophesies edifies the church. That's the gift of prophecy. That's moving in the gift of prophecy. We only have part of the picture. We see in a mirror dimly. That's in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verses 9 to 12. We know in part, and we prophesy in part. We don't get the full picture. And so it's Jesus who has the full picture. He gives us part of the picture. We don't always get the whole picture. We want the whole. I don't want to. If I had known what was going to happen in my life in advance, I probably wouldn't have done it. But God wants me to go through the experience. He wants me to go through all the things that we need to go through to cause me to grow, become the man of God that he wants me to be. And he will continue doing that. I don't want to know the whole picture because then the adventure is not fun. <laughs> We're all on adventure, right? I want the adventure to be enjoyed. I don't want to know the, out, the outcome. I know the ultimate outcome. I'll be in the kingdom of God. But the process along the way, I don't want to know all of it in advance. I want the adventure. And so, again, we know in part and we prophesy in part. The spirit of the prophet is subject to the prophet. Sometimes the word from God is mixed with your words. And so we need to understand, you know, that, that it, you know, you got to discern what's of God and what's not. You hear a word, you know, and someone prophesies in the church and you hear a word. Well, it might be mixed with something that's of them. You've got to know the word of God and know what God is speaking in your life so that you can take what God is saying and eliminate that which is from them, from their own personal desires. Okay, and that's in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 32. And then um, the process of bringing forth the prophecies Again, these are the, the gift of prophecy. Is, is in the church, let two or three prophesy and let the others judge. And the process is one by one and in order. 
So it's not out of disorder, but it's in order. And 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verses 29 to 31 talks about that. That it's, there, there is a process to do it. There's an order to do it. In other words, let, let the word go forth, let the gift come forth, and let, let it be judged. Is that God or is it not God? So many times we just hear the word, we just say, oh, okay, we, but it's not, we need to judge it and say, is that the Lord or is not the Lord? It is for anyone who wants it. <laughs> really? Paul you know, says, and, and you, obviously you need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. 1 Corinthians 14, 5, Paul says, I would desire that you all prophesy. I would desire that you all prophesy. I want to hear God's encouragement. And I would that you would all prophesy of all the gifts of the Spirit, the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Prophecy is the one that we all can do. Because, I mean, Paul said it. It's in the scripture. I believe that that's for all of us. We're afraid because we don't want to say something wrong. But basically, I mean, that's how I started out. I was afraid and I started out baby walk, you know, just like we speak in tongues, we start, we just say a couple of few words, and then as time goes on and we start moving in, in you know, in, in the gift of the Holy Spirit in our life, okay, what, what happens? We begin to speak our language, you know, just like I'm learning Spanish, you know, again, okay? And, well, it's a process, but my language is improving. Well, God wants us to improve our prayer language as well, too. And as time went on, the Lord gave me several prayer languages. And I could always tell when God was doing something special because the language would change, and I just felt the anointing and power of the Holy Spirit. And I knew that the Holy Spirit was praying something that I knew nothing about, but he was accomplishing something in the heavenlies that, I, that he needed to accomplish. And so we need to do that. And so again, you know, he said that, you know, I would that you'd all prophesy. And Paul said, Is that you the reason, and the reason why he would have us, wants us all to prophesy, it convicts the non-believer. When the non-believer hears the word of God and it pierces into their heart, they may not want to respond, but it's touched them. It's touched them. It encourages the church and builds us up and not, does not tear us down. I'll say it again. It does not tear down. The word of God, the prophecy that comes forth today will not tear you down. It may tear down that which is not of God in your life, but it doesn't tear you down. Because he wants to build you up and in the place of the stuff that shouldn't be there, he wants to replace it with the stuff that needs to be there so you can have an overcoming and productive life in the kingdom of God. And it's a sign to the non-believer. It's a sign to the believer, and it's a sign to the non-believer. 1 Corinthians chapter, um, chapter 4, verses, verse 42, I mean 22, it says, So then tongues are for a sign, not to those who believe, but to the unbeliever, because they're hearing something weird. But then it needs to be translated so they understand what God is saying, okay? And then it says, But prophecy is for a sign, not to the unbeliever, but to those who believe. Think about that. It's pretty interesting, you know. It's a sign, you know, so we need to have all these gifts flowing. You know, for years, I remember in Waco, we would flow in, and we would hear, um, I would, you know, people would bring forth a tongue and somebody would translate. 
And even I, at that time, began to move in the gift of tongues. And I would, I would, pray, in, you know, I would pray in a tongue, or I would speak in a tongue, and then somebody would prof- tra- translate, or I would translate. But the idea of being is, is that, is that we, it encourages us to move in the power of the Holy Spirit, it encourages us to receive what God has for us. It, it builds us up and not tear us down, and it's a sign for the believer. Hallelujah, Lord. Hallelujah, Lord. Okay, let's talk about the office of the prophet. Now, that's different than the gift of prophecy. I'm going to say that again. A prophet moves in the gift of prophecy, but everybody who moves in the gift of prophecy is not a prophet. And I don't know, you know, people give labels in churches. I've been all over the world. I've been called all kinds of things. I even was called an apostle. I said, well, that, 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 that's, I'm not an apostle. <laughs> I don't start churches. I help. Okay? And, you know, again, you know, the idea of being is, is that people give labels to everything. But we don't have to live by that label. We live by God. And just because someone prophesies doesn't make them a prophet. Okay, so let's talk about the office of the prophet. Ephesians 4.11 talks about God has called by his choice, not your choice. You, you know, it's, it says it's a good thing if you want to be an elder. So you live your life and you, 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 know, you, you grow in the Lord and you, you know, mature, meaning you know, not just be older in God, but that you are walking closer and closer in the Lord and you become a pillar. So that's a good thing. But it doesn't say you can desire to be a prophet, you suddenly become a prophet. That doesn't work that way. If you, you want to be an apostle, well, it doesn't work that way. God calls those ministries. God calls those ministries. And the ministries are there for a purpose. So the prophet's ministry is to equip and build up the saints. A pro, someone who moves in the prophetic ministry will help give um, prophetic direction to the church or prophetic correction to the church. Again, the idea of being is to help equip the church so that they can become mature and grow. Mature doesn't mean that, okay, now you know everything. Now, I'm talking about mature, meaning you start functioning in the body of Christ. You start doing what God has called you to do. And and that is what the, the ministry of the prophet is. So he'll give a word to encourage you to fulfill what God has called you to do. He'll give you a word to maybe change or correct things that need to be done so that you can fulfill the purpose that God has for you. It might even help in conjunction with the apostle and the pastor to help give direction to the church. And so it's not just prophecy, but it's the prophetic moving to help build up the body of Christ. You know, in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 28, says God has appointed in the church first apostles, then prophets. The prophet helps give direction, reveals the future, corrects, warns, blesses, okay? But that's not prophecy. That's different. That's different. So some examples in the scripture. Agabus, Acts chapter 11, verse 27 to 29. He predicts the famine in Jerusalem, tells the future. And sure enough, the famine comes. That's, that's prophecy. 
Agabus in Acts chapter 21, verses 10 to 14, predicts what will happen to Paul. This is what's going to happen to this man. You'll be bound, he bound himself up. You know, I said, this is what's going to happen to you. Okay, now, I, want, I, use, I use this as an example because it's a very important example. Okay, if someone were to tell you, this is going to happen to you if you go to Asia. You're going to get bound up and thrown in jail. Or if I go to India, this, if you go to India, this is going to happen to you. Now, you can say, oh, I don't want that happening to me. <laughs> so what do you do? You don't go. That's not what Paul did. Paul said, thanks for the information. But I'm, go I'm going anyway. The idea being is that prophecy was meant to help the people understand what was going to happen. And Paul knew it was going to happen. He didn't change his plan because he heard the word of God. He continued in his plan knowing that God would help him even though he was going to be bound up. So don't let prophecy change what God has told you to do in your life. We don't live by prophecy. We live by, by every word that's in the word of God, by our relationship with the Lord, that the Holy Spirit will speak to you. And the prophet won't tell you something that the Holy Spirit is not telling you to do. And I really want to encourage you. I don't know how many times people say, I want to hear a word from God. Read the word. Read the word. You want to hear a word from God? Read the word. You want to hear a word from God? Pray. And then sit back, rest, and listen. We have a tendency of wanting to do a lot of talking, but not a lot of listening. We say, oh, I have this need. I have that need. I have this need. And we tell God all of our needs, and then we go on and we just say he's going to meet my needs. Well, we don't hear what he wants us to do so those needs can be met or maybe change the way we're thinking. <laughs> Hallelujah, Lord. Hallelujah. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 20. The prophet helps build the foundation of the church. That's the ministry of the prophet. Helps build the foundation of the church. So again, we need to understand these things. Okay? And, you know, um, there were prophets and teachers in Antioch. In Acts chapter 13, verse 1. Barnabas, Simeon, Lucius, um, Saul, all, many of them. There were prophets there, but they had proven ministry. And Paul was more than, you know, Paul was a prophet, but he was also an apostle. And so there can be crossover in different ministries. Judas and Silas, um, they went forth, they were moved in the prophetic. And in Acts chapter 15, verses 30 to 32, they encouraged and strengthened the church. Okay, understanding prophecy and what it is. Okay, so again, prophecy is a gift for all of us to use. To encourage, exhort, console the church. It is for any believer filled with the Spirit desiring to prophesy. The prophet is called by God to build, train, and encourage the church. He has proven ministry of the prophetic word and character. And that, that, that requires time. You can't suddenly just be prophesying and now you're a prophet. Well, that doesn't work that way. That's a gift, but that's not the office. It needs to be proven. It needs to, there needs to be character with that as well too. 
I think, you know, Ilya has talked about that. It's, it's character. It's not just moving in a gift. It's having experience with God. It's having the sensitivity of God. It's having proven character that the word that you share has come forth and has proven to be true and that what you share is actually come to pass. And again, it's important to understand that. And they help build the church, encourage the church. So in conclusion of this particular gift and understanding the difference between prophecy and prophet, prophecy is to encourage, exhort, and console. A prophecy must coincide with the word of God. I'll say that again, because sometimes we want to hear a prophecy and it may not coincide with the word of God. It must coincide with the word of God. You must not live by prophecy, but confirm it. If God speaks a word to you, you put it in the back pocket, you put it in your Bible, you write it down, and you keep walking the walk that God has for you and see that it's confirmed. I've seen that. I've gone and I've, I've, I've given prophetic words to people. And years later, they come back and tell me, remember that word you shared? No. <laughs> well, it came to pass. And I think that's important for us to understand that, okay? It must be in line, okay, with the word of God. You must be in line with the word of God. If it is directional, let the Lord prove it out. Just don't do it. Prove it out. Just don't do it. Hallelujah, Lord. Let's go on to the next ones. They're a little bit easier, and then we'll finish up here. Tongues. Well, tongues, we talk, we've talked about what tongues are. You know, tongues are different languages spoken by a believer through the Holy Spirit. There are two types of tongues. The one that you get when you're baptized in the Holy Spirit and the one that is the gift of the Holy Spirit, okay? Tongues you receive, you're filled with the Holy Spirit, that's for your personal life. The gift of tongues is to be interpreted for the edification of the church, okay? It's for the benefit of the church. Speaking in tongues come when you are baptized in the Holy Spirit, it's for all believers. The gift of tongues is given by the Holy Spirit as he wills for the benefit of the church. You understand that? That's the difference between them, okay? Speaking in tongues, tongue can be a language of men or of angels. When you speak in tongues, it edifies you. That's your personal language. It edifies you, it builds you up. That's why we need to be praying in the spirit all the time because you know, I, you know, people say, oh, you know, you, you always pray in the Holy Spirit because they're always hearing me pray in the Holy Spirit. It's because I need to be built up. Because I need to be strengthened in the Lord. And so the only way I know how to be strengthened in the Lord is to read the word, pray, and pray in the Spirit. Because I, the Holy Spirit knows what I need more than I do. And that's for me. That's for my benefit. When you speak in tongues, you know, it edifies you. You are speaking to God in another language. It's the Holy Spirit speaking through you to God for you on your behalf. Your spirit prays. The mind is not active in this but the Holy Spirit is active. You're submitting your mind to the Holy Spirit. When we speak in tongues, the Holy Spirit, he is helping our prayers and interceding for us. That's personal prayer language, okay? Um, you may be battling in the Spirit. That's happened to me several times when I, you know, there, there are times when I, uh, my, uh, my wife will wake me up. You're praying in tongues. So I say, why'd you wake me up? I was winning the battle. <laughs> 
I was, you know, you know, it's a spiritual battle and that can happen in your sleep. Okay, so you're battling, you know, in the spirit. Um, it is a sign that follows you. These are the signs that will follow you. They will speak with new tongues. And so it's a sign that follows us. You know, speaking in tongues is an important aspect of your spiritual life, but it's for you and not the church. That's your personal apparently. It is, is an important part of your personal life, but it's for you and not the church. And that's 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verses 18 and 19. I worship in tongues is different than the gift of tongues. And that needs to be interpreted. We should worship in spirit as well as our minds. Worship in spirit and in truth. So I want to encourage you. Worship in the spirit. At home, in the shower, <laughs> in the car. When somebody's you know, cutting in front of you. <laughs> pray in the spirit. Because you don't want to say the other thing. <laughs> Hallelujah. Okay. It is a sign to the unbeliever. You're, you're praying in tongues. The church should not, Paul said, the church should not forbid praying in the Spirit. Yeah. It, it, it's tough for us sometimes because, you know, I mean, in many churches, they don't want to pray in the Spirit during the service. You're worshiping and you're singing songs and praying in the Spirit. They don't want that because they're afraid that people, when they come in, they'll think you're crazy and they won't come back. I don't really care. It's a sign to them that I'm different than they are. <laughs> Hallelujah. Okay. Um, and so again, it's important for us to see that. Okay. Now, the gift of tongues, okay, is different. The gift of tongues is prophecy in another language. It's prophecy in another language. It is to edify, exhort, and console the same as prophecy. That's in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 26. I'll read that one. And what is the outcome then, brethren? When we assemble, um, um, each, each, you know, each one has a psalm, has a teaching, has a revelation, has a tongue, has an interpretation that all things be done for edification. So these tongues need to be interpreted. If you speak in the gift of tongues, let two or three speak. That's also in 1427 where it says, if one speaks in the tongue, it should be done by two or at the most three, and each one in turn, and let one interpret. So that means those tongues need to be interpreted because people need to hear that prophecy. But the tongue is a witness to those that don't know Christ, and the, and the prophecy is for you to encourage you and strengthen you. And so God wants to use both of them together. It needs to operate together. All right, so all do not speak in tongues so that these tongues are not for everyone. Everyone does, you know, in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, 30, and so it says that, you know, so these tongues are not for everybody. These tongues are a specific gift that God gives you for the moment to glorify and edify the church. It's different than your prayer language. Hallelujah. It's a gift for the church. 1 Corinthians 12, 28 to 30, it's a gift for the church. All right, now I'm gonna give you something that will help you understand the gift of tongues. Okay, the gift of tongues, okay, uh, Howard's book is like, no, I love that book. I've read it like two or three times. Yeah, I'll probably read it again because I get something new out of it every time. But in his book, he gave 
really something really cool that I thought was really cool about speaking in tongues. Okay, the gift of tongues is a prayer language. Okay, no, I mean, excuse me, you're speaking in tongues. When you're baptized in the Holy Spirit and you speak in tongues, is a prayer language, it is for prayer and worship to God. As a gift, that's talking about the gift of the Spirit, is to give a message to the people from God. Okay? The first one is for your benefit to worship and pray to God and to communicate to the Lord. The other one, or the gift, the gift of tongues, is a message to the people from God. As a prayer language, we are speaking to God. As a gift, God is speaking to us. Because it's translating. So God is speaking to us. As a prayer language, it builds us up. As a gift, it builds up the church. As a prayer language, it does not need interpretation. As a gift, it requires interpretation. As a prayer language, it is for all believers. As a gift, it is given only at the will of the Holy Spirit. I'll say that one again. As a prayer language, it's for all of us at all times. Pray in the Spirit. Paul says, I pray in the Spirit more than all of you, but I would that you prophesy. Why? Because prophesy, you can hear what God is saying. And so, and the gift, it is given only at the will of the Holy Spirit. He gives one, each one just as he wills. And number six, as a prayer language, it can operate any time. It can operate anytime. You can pray in the car. You can pray in the shower. You can pray whenever you want to. I pray in the spirit when I'm at work all day long. Show me what to do, Lord. You know, and I'm just praying. I'm praying. I don't know what that. People come with rashes. Oh, that's the hardest. Oh, I'm not a dermatologist, and I'm like, I pity the dermatologist. Man, these people come with rashes. Lord, show me what this rash is. And I pray in the spirit, you know. <laughs> Okay, <laughs> and so again, the key here, you know, I need help, okay? So I pray in the spirit, but the gift is for interpretation to edify the church, okay? Um, so let's talk about the gift of interpretation because it's pretty easy. It's just basically interpreting the tongues. <laughs> There's not a whole lot to teach on this one. A gift of interpretation is used to interpret the gift of tongues, which is in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, 27. We read that where it said, let two or maybe three tongues and then let there be an interpretation. Okay? The interpreting you know, may, you know, many times is the one speaking in tongues. Okay? 1 Corinthians chapter 14, 13 talks about that. Um, it says, therefore, let one who speaks in tongues pray that he may interpret. And so if there's no interpreter, if God has given you a tongues, he will also give you an interpretation of those tongues. So we shouldn't be afraid. Oh, they're not an interpreter here. If God gives you a tongue, know that it will be interpreted. Either you do it or, or God will give somebody else to do it. Okay? Unless there is an interpreter... The gift of tongues should not be used. And that's in verse 28, when it says, if there is no interpreter, let him keep silent in the church and let him speak to himself and to God. So don't just start speaking in tongues. There needs to be an interpretation. So when God speaks to you and you feel that God has given you a tongue, you share that tongue knowing that there will be an interpretation. And if there is no interpreter, someone else to interpret, 
which, you, you know, if God gives it to you, there'll be an interpreter, and you're the one that's to interpret it. But the idea being, if there's no interpretation, don't bring that gift forth. The gifts of interpretation and tongues work together and cannot function without each other. Okay. I'm finished here in terms of the gifts, but I want us all to understand there are nine gifts here. Nine gifts. And God wants us to function in those gifts. He wants us to start stepping out of faith and believing that he's going to use us. And, and you've got to believe that he's going to use you. You've got to believe that he wants to use you. And we as leaders in the church are encouraging you to start stepping out in the gifts, not just at church, but everywhere in the community. So that the signs and wonders follow you wherever you go. And that your words and your life are basically an, an expression of what God is doing in you and the, and the power of God behind you is, being, is revealing that word to be true. So let's we'll pray and then I guess you'll have a break. And, okay, Lord, I just thank you right now. I thank you right now for each one here. I thank you, Lord, for the gifts that you've given us. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would start flowing in your gifts in this body, but not only here, but all throughout your church, Lord, that those gifts would become evident, that those gifts would flow, and that your name would be glorified in, in, in your church because not only are we going forth proclaiming the word and proclaiming the gospel, but the power is proving it. And so we thank you for that right now, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. We have one worship song before the next session. And it's all about looking to Jesus. So I invite you to stand with me. Death looks like an empty grave. Fear looks like a giant slain. Trials look like gifts of grace When I look to Jesus Failure's bow to victory Sin has lost its hold on me And this love is all I see When I look to Jesus how my heart leaps, how my soul sings For I know where my help comes from Jesus sought me, Jesus saved me Hallelujah for all he's done Every wall, every wall comes crashing down Chains are broken on the ground what can stand, what can stand against us now When we look to Jesus How my heart leaves, how my soul sings For I know where my help comes from Jesus so
again so I will keep my eyes on you we'll dance upon the crashing waves I will keep my eyes on you for only you can make a way I will keep my eyes on you we'll dance upon the crashing waves I will keep my eyes on you for only you can make a way thank you Lord that you make a way thank you that your goodness and your mercy go on forever Lord we just give you all honor and praise and we pray that you are glorified in the rest of the session in your name amen well, be, please be seated. Are we having fun or what? Alan was saying he had so much more he could say, and I'm thinking we had so much more we could listen to. So I'm going to ask these guys to come back. And we're going to do, uh, we need a part two. Uh, down the road, of course. Uh, everybody knows Eliezer. Eliezer, come on up. I just want to mention while you're on your way up, we, Howard, my dear brother, uh, wrote a book called Speaking in Tongues. If you want to have more information uh, about we're going to be giving this away free today. So uh, please grab a copy, and I think it'll be on the way out. Uh, someone will make this available. It's a great book. God bless and welcome. Let's give a warm welcome to Eliezer. Hallelujah. I, I'm enjoying this so much. Praise the Lord. Hope you too. And uh, of course, the best part of this se seminar is that uh, you do it, right? 
the, is not the hearer of the word, but the doer of the word. And everything we've been sharing is the word of God and this encouragement of we receive from the Lord in moving in the gifts of the Holy Spirit. So now you know the nine of them, how they work and uh, how to start moving in them. Of course, everything is by faith. Everything is just let the Holy Spirit move you and stepping out, as um, Alan said uh, very clearly to us uh, just right now. So, uh, continuing with what uh, I was sharing yesterday, uh, we need to see this in the overall perspective because uh, we are a church and we want to come together and we want to be edified and the gifts of the Holy Spirit are part of that. Uh, when Paul begins to, to teach about the gifts of the Holy Spirit in 1 Corinthians 12, he says, I don't want you guys to be ignorant. And he goes all the way, chapters 12, 13, and 14. And then at the end of chapter 14, he says, if, anyone's, if anyone wants to keep in ignorance or be ignorant, letting him be ignorant. So if you don't want to learn, well, don't learn. You will miss the power of the Holy Spirit and you will not be edified in, in this very powerful way. Uh, of course, we will see some of the chapter 13. I'm going to talk a little bit on that. Because chapter 13 was not put there just because Paul didn't have anything else to say. But it has a very specific purpose in the moving of the gifts of the Holy Spirit and how the church comes together. So after Paul writes about the the nine gifts of the Holy Spirit in the first uh, 11 chapters of chapter 12, 1 Corinthians, he talks about the body. He makes a very clear explanation how the body is uh, one and how the body has many members. And this is very important for us to understand and to have body mentality. We must learn to operate the gifts as a body, not as an independent individuals. 1 Corinthians 12, 12 says, For as the body is one, and has many members, but all the members are that one body, being many are one body, so also is Christ. So the, man, the many problems that we have in the moving of the gifts of the Holy Spirit is because there is a lot of self-centered attitudes that mess up with the wonderful flowing of the gifts of the Holy Spirit in the congregation. So when you have a, a testimony of the Holy Spirit to move, you need to know, you need to realize that you are a member and not the whole body. Uh, so when you want to move in the gifts of the Holy Spirit, you are only going to do a, a small part of the whole thing that the Lord is wanting to do in that specific time, in that specific service. We all need to realize that our contributions in the church service are just a little part of the whole purpose that God wants to fulfill in every meeting. From the pre-prayer meeting, through the worship, through the singing in tongues, speaking in tongues, speaking in understanding, and moving in the Holy Spirit to the message, to the preaching, to the teaching, all of that is one block that God wants to move, and the moving of the gifts of the Holy Spirit is part of that, okay? 
So you can start from the pre-prayer meeting moving in the gifts of the Spirit. When you are there, uh, yeah, I know some of you come, not, I don't know that all of them, you come. But from that time, God begins to speak. And when I've come to the pre-prayer meetings uh, in the past, I've seen the move of the Holy Spirit there, and we begin to see the purpose that God wants to accomplish in that uh, specific day for the church. Uh, sometimes when I uh, stand up to preach in my church, I, I am a little bit disappointed. Why? Because the worship team and the prophecy time said everything I had to say. <laughs> and then I stand up and say, what am I going to say? Uh, the worship team and the songs that we sang and the prophecies and uh, the move of the Holy Spirit before I was standing in front, they said everything. I just have to repeat everything. Well, yeah, that happens. And that happens very often because we see that God is moving uh, in the mentality or in the uh, point of view of one body. So we are one body and we need to understand that moving in the gifts of the Holy Spirit is uh, that those members of the church coming together and being a real body of Christ. You know, the, the way the, the church... Um, functioned uh, in the mind of Christ or should function in the mind of Christ is that it is that the body of Christ needs to be edified and we need to edify one another. So right now our mentality of a church is okay we come, we sit down, we hear uh, worship, we participate, we hear a preacher, that's it. But in the mind of Christ, the, the gathering together of the body of Christ is that as many of us as possible uh, within the limits that we have of time and, and space, participate and edify one another in moving also in the gifts of the Holy Spirit. So we need to uh, enter into that body of Christ mentality. That's why uh, Paul explained very clearly that the, the hand cannot say to the feet, I don't need you, or the eye to the ear, or, you know, the different members of the body that we are, we cannot say to one another, I don't need you. And he says that specifically when he is speaking about the gifts of the Holy Spirit. So when we move in the gifts of the Holy Spirit, we are going to have to understand that we are only part of the body of Christ, and not everything is about us. When someone steals the service to give a prophecy and takes more than 30 seconds, I would say, to say that prophecy, it is something that is going out of order. Normally, prophecy, the prophetic gift, is a direct gift, is for encouragement, is for edification, is for counseling but it is not taking over the service and say, whoa, whoa, whoa so many things. Uh, I've moved in the, in the gifts of prophecy, and normally when you let the Holy Spirit speak to you, it is, uh, it is really short, it is really direct. People try to add many times their own thinking, their own interpretation, then they preach to you, and then they take over the service, and the, the service goes in different directions. 
That's not the moving of the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Uh, if Paul said that everyone should or can prophesy or he wanted everybody to prophesy, it's because the prophecies are direct, di directly to the point and when the Holy Spirit speaks through us, it is very, very direct and very to the point. So um, I really doubt when I hear people that begins to prophesy and this goes on and on and on and on and on. And I, don't, I, I think that, that may be part of the Holy Spirit, but most of the time it's just the person itself taking over uh, the service and not letting the flow of the Holy Spirit to continue. So it is very important for us to understand that if we're going to move in the gifts of the Holy Spirit, that's very important. So, mm, so there are very, uh, several verses. First uh, Corinthians 12, 20 says, but now indeed there are many members yet one body. And 27, 12, 27 says, now you are the body of Christ and members individually. So when we are moving in the gifts of the Holy Spirit, we need to realize, yeah, I'm just going to put my little uh, grain uh, and then the rest of the body will do what they are called to do. We also need to realize uh, how much emphasis Paul puts in the body of Christ and how it works so that the Holy Spirit can move with liberty. And this means that we need to yield to one another. So if we are having that attitude, that uh, mentality of the body of Christ, we will just say what the Lord has wanted us to say and let the rest of the, of, the, of the body contribute and we will have a very complete time of edification and we will understand that it is God, it is the Holy Spirit moving not only through the gifts of the Holy Spirit but in everything that is happening in the service, okay? So it is, uh, it is something that we need to uh, get to ourselves. Um, sometimes we need to correct people uh, that are extending their, their participation in the moving of the gifts of the Holy Spirit because they are just stealing uh, God's presence, stealing something, and then we cannot move, and the Holy Spirit cannot move with liberty. But I, I've been in, in services in many places, uh, I remember since I started work, going to Waco, Texas for the conferences there, that the move of the Holy Spirit was very strong and everyone was uh, taking their part in the moving of the Holy Spirit but didn't uh, take the service into another direction. So when you are really uh, having that body mentality, you will just be adding a little bit to the, to the service and it will be a wonderful experience because we all are going to be edified and we all are going to grow in the Lord and we're going to, to see this happening in our churches. 1 Corinthians 14, 30 and 31 says, But if anything is revealed to another who sits by, the first keep silent. And you can all, for you can all prophesy one by one that all may learn and that all may be encouraged. So you do your part, other one receives another word, he comes up, he shares what has to share, and then 
we, we will see uh, that the power of God is moving and is touching everyone. One of the things here that we need to understand is that um, everybody comes with needs, right? We all come here with some specific needs in our hearts, in our lives, and God wants to speak to us. And when we move in that uh, body ministry, God will minister to that need in a very specific way. So it is uh, really important for us to understand that we are only uh, part of the body and not the whole body. Paul talks about uh, the same uh, one body ministry in the book of Ephesians. And Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1 through 3, he says, Therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, therefore I, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you to walk worthy of the calling with which you are called, with all lowliness and gentleness and unsuffering, bearing one another's in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. So there are five qualities that you need to develop in your life in order for you to move as a body. Number one, lowliness or humility. We talked about when uh, we are moving in the gifts of the Holy Spirit, it's not about ourselves. And when we pray for people, when we pray for healing, miracles or something, it's not about ourselves. We are just humble people trying to serve the Lord, praying for one another, and let the Holy Spirit move in our lives, but it is not uh, about us being praised or being lifted up or do something. Gentleness. We need to be kind. We need to minister in kindness. Not being aggressive, not being overtaking, not being uh, pushy. Loneliness. And, I mean gentleness. Long-suffering. Okay, sometimes we need to wait. Sometimes we need to uh, uh, wait till the, the, is the right time when the Holy Spirit will move in that direction. We need to wait. You know, it is important for us to understand that the Holy Spirit is not going to make us do things, but the Holy Spirit waits on us till we are ready, until it is the right time to say or to do whatever the Holy Spirit is moving, bearing one another in love. We're going to talk about love a little bit more and endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. So when we see the body, we want to minister to one another, we want to keep the love of God, we want to keep the peace in the, in the church, because only in that way we will have the right edification. When there is competition spirit, when, they, when there is trying to show how many things the Lord has given to me, when I want to be seen by the people, that destroys completely the atmosphere of peace, the atmosphere of, of unity in the church, and we are not achieving what the Lord wants us to do. And that's where many problems have. You know, people today, there are many preachers and respectable people, uh, respected preachers that I know that preach against the Holy Spirit and the move of the gifts of the Holy Spirit because instead of edification, instead of unity, there is a big disorder in the church and that does not bring edification. 
And the, uh, the problem with them is that instead of uh, learning how to do it and coming together in peace, in love, in endurance, in uh, patience, and in all of that, they just say, okay, don't do it. And they stop it, but that's not the purpose of God. We need to have this uh, body of Christ mentality because we are only one body, and we need to understand that is the edification of the body what we're looking and not to uh, be outstanding on ourselves. That's why Paul inserted 1 Corinthians 13 between 12 and 14. 1 Corinthians 13 is not for weddings, right? Well, it can be used for weddings. Of course, we all use it for weddings. But 1 Corinthians 13 is part of the entire teaching in how to move in the gifts of the Holy Spirit. And it begins by, by telling us in, uh, in 1 Corinthians 13, verses 1 uh, and 2, Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, but I have not love, I have become a sounding brass or a clinging, clanging cymbal. And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have the faith so that I could remove mountains, but I have no love, I am nothing. So love is the essence behind moving in the gifts of the Holy Spirit. So we are not going to speak in tongues just for speaking in tongues. We are not going to uh, pray or have faith or prophesy or send a message or interpretation of, or, of tongues or any of that because Paul is covering these uh, gifts of the Holy Spirit at the beginning of chapter 13. But he says, if I don't do it in love, it's worthless. So what is the, the essence behind moving in the gifts of the Holy Spirit? That I love the Lord and that I love my neighbor and I want to be a blessing to him and that's why I am moving in the gifts of the Holy Spirit. I said a little while ago, all of us come with, with specific needs. Maybe we're worried about our children. Maybe we don't have finances to pay our rent. Maybe we are sick. Maybe we have fear of the things that are going on in the world. There are so many things that are happening. But when we come as a body of Christ and we have the essence of love behind us, we will then begin to minister in the gifts of the Holy Spirit in order to release in order to, to bring liberty, healing, deliverance even, to the people around us. So you have to come with an attitude of love to serve and to be a blessing to the people when you want to move in the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Because it's, it's so amazing to pray for someone and then he says immediately, the Lord touched me, I feel completely healed. And I've seen that. But you know, the main reason behind Moving in the Holy Spirit is that we do it in love so we can minister to others. God's love sees the need and He's always ready to provide for it. But He needs love vessels through whom His love may flow. 
So here we understand another very important part in moving in the gifts of the Holy Spirit. I am here, I have the gifts of the Holy Spirit, and I love the congregation, so I want to minister to them so that the love of God will be manifested in their lives. So love is the way, love is the essence that we need to, to have when we are moving in the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Now, when we are talking the overall picture of the service, church service or home service or wherever we gather together, we need to talk about praying and singing in the Spirit. Alan talked about, about this, uh, so I'm just going to mention it uh, quickly. Praying and singing in the Spirit or worshiping in the Spirit is part of the flow of the Spirit in the, in the congregation. This is the warming up of the members of the body to receive the testimony of the Holy Spirit in their hearts to be ready to move in the gifts. So why Paul says do not forbid to speak in tongues when he writes in 1 Corinthians 14 about uh, all the gifts and the, the things that we already heard. Why he's not stopping? Because uh, when you have a, a time to worship God and to pray to God in the Spirit, that's the communication that we need with God and the Holy Spirit to, to bring the witness in our hearts that we have a purpose of God for us to move in a specific gift of the Holy Spirit. How do you know that you should prophesy? How do you know that you should go and pray for people? How do you know that you should, you know, give a word of knowledge or, or a word of wisdom? It's not mental. It's a testimony of the Spirit inside of you. So you need that time of... Uh, Communication with God and then receive the testimony of the Holy Spirit. You know, when you have the testimony of the Spirit in your spirit, you know it is God. But I cannot explain this mentally because God is not a mental God. God is spirit. And those who worship God must worship in spirit and in truth. So when we are communicating with God and we have a, that time of worshiping or praying in the Spirit, that's where the Holy Spirit, that's when the Holy Spirit is going to be, begin to give you a testimony. I have this word for you. I have this uh, gift that I have given you. And now is the time for you to use it. So when we are in that time, and that's why Paul says, I will pray in the Spirit, I will pray in the understanding, I will sing with the Spirit, and I will sing with the understanding in 1 Corinthians 14, is because that's, um, I would say, the entrance into the supernatural of God, and then we will see the supernatural of God being part of the service. Okay? So the singing in the Spirit, the, the worshiping in the Spirit, is the entrance into the supernatural realm of God, and the supernatural things that Alan talked to us very, very clearly, very well, will begin to happen because we want to have services that show that our God is not mental, that religion is not our 
main goal, but we want to see a supernatural moving in our congregation. That's what makes the real difference between just a social gathering or just instructing gathering or a conference with the service of God, with the church of God, the church of the living God, the church where God can move very freely and, have, and, and has the opportunity to show his power. You know, some people don't believe in the, in the supernatural, don't believe in the healings or miracles or tongues or all those things, but, but that unbelief is the one that blocks the moving of the supernatural. The Bible even says that when Jesus visited his land, he couldn't do many miracles there because of their unbelief. Jesus couldn't do many miracles there because they did not believe he was the Christ. So when people don't believe in miracles, miracles will not happen, and they will say, see, miracles don't happen. This is not because miracles can't happen, but because you don't believe miracles can happen, miracles won't happen in your life. But there are so many miracles around the world, and we need to understand that the, the gathering together of the church is a place where God, our supernatural God, our spiritual God, wants to move with power. And we need to have that faith, and we need to, to let the Holy Spirit communicate with us and start moving. And that's why we normally uh, have a time to pray in tongues or to sing in tongues because that's where we communicate with God and then God begins to talk to us. Alan talked about the, the tongues and he took the book of Howard where it defines clearly sign, uh, uh, tongues as a sign and tongues as a gift. Okay, when we are uh, speaking in tongues as a sign, we communicate with God and we open the channel of communication between us and God. And that's where the testimony of the Spirit comes to you. So how do you know when you have a word of prophecy? It's a testimony inside. Is that it? That's it. It's not something you will understand. It's a testimony inside of you that will tell you, I want to speak to the congregation. I want to tell the congregation. I want to encourage. I want to, to edify the congregation through you so you just open your mouth in faith and things will, will happen. So praying and, and singing or worshiping in the, in the Spirit is part of the flow of the Holy Spirit and is the right preparation for us. Now, the thing that we need to, to seek in all these things is edification. 1 Corinthians 14, 26. It says, How is it then, brethren? Brethren includes men and women. Whenever you come together, each of you has a psalm, has a teaching, has a tongue, has a revelation, has an interpretation. Let all things be done for edification. So the, the thing that we are seeking is to edify one another. One of the things that will help you to move in the gifts of the Holy Spirit is when you were part of the worship and you will sing what, the, what songs the Holy Spirit gave to the worship leader 
And then you, you feel, I have a word, and I have a testimony that that word aligns with what worship is going. So that's a great confirmation for you. Yeah, I feel uh, to encourage the people, I don't know exactly what I'm going to say, but I feel to encourage the people into loving one another. Because we were singing songs about the love of God. So I begin to move in the same direction where a body and everything is going for edification. What does the word edification mean? Building up, right? It's not, I shoot that way and the other brothers shoot that way and the preacher shoots another way and the worship team. So that's not edification. Edification is building up. So when we move in the gifts of the Holy Spirit for edification is that we are going to build upon what others have said, either some. Some talks about our worship time, teaching, our teaching time, and the rest are gifts of the Holy Spirit that we have, and everything or all things be done for edification. Now, also, 1 Corinthians 14 says that everything must be done decently and in order. And this is something also very important. 1 Corinthians 14, 40 says, but all things must be done properly and in an orderly manner. And here's where the church leaders come in. The gifts of the Holy Spirit must be judged, especially prophecy, tongues, and interpretation of tongues, according to 1 Corinthians 14, 29. So who are the ones that are going to see that everything is done decently and in order? The leadership of the church, right? And who are the ones that are going to judge the prophecy or the tongues and interpretation of tongues? The leaders of the church, not the church itself. So that's why when Paul is talking about judging, he's talking when he adds that verse that women should be silent in the church because he's developing the, the part of the prophecy where he's talking about judging prophecy and he's talking about correcting and he's talking about everything has to be done decently in order because only the leadership of the church, the pastor and the elders, have the authority from the Lord to correct and to see that everything is done decently and in order, and to judge prophecy. Why judge prophecy? Well, the other six, six gifts of the Holy Spirit, they don't need to be judged. Right? Why? If I pray for healing for headache, and the person gets relieved from the headache, that's a proof. I don't have to do anything else. If there is a miracle, the miracle itself proves itself that it is legitimate from God. But prophecy could be from God, could be from ourselves, or could be, could be also an infiltration of an evil spirit. That's why prophecy has to be judged. And tongues, as Alan explained, tongues and interpretation of tongues our prophecy given in a different language and interpreted so we all understand that has to be judged and to, to be declared, yes, this is from God and we receive it and we are edified and we move ahead.
But it is very important for all of us to understand that we have that attitude of one body that I already talked about, being lowly, being gentle, being enduring, being uh, caring one another, bearing one another's. When we have that attitude, it is okay if my prophecy is judged. It is good if I am corrected. It is good for me if I understand that what I said it was not exactly what God wanted me to say, but I need to be corrected so I can grow and I can learn more and more in the gifts of the Holy Spirit. So if you don't have that lowly attitude, if you don't have that attitude of uh, being just humble before the Lord, it is very hard to be corrected. Proud people never accept correction. But we all need to be humble and need to understand that when I am corrected, is for my good, is for my edification, is for my growth, is for my maturity, and in that way I will grow more in the things of God. Um, I ha I've had the opportunity to travel to different countries, and one time I was uh, sharing something, and at the end of the, the service, the pastor, who was also an apostle in, the, in, in that area, called me and said, why do you say these things? And then I explained, and he said, well, I have a different opinion in those things. So I said, okay, I accept your correction. I'm not going to talk about that, and I'm just going to submit to you, and that was fine. That was very fine, and I kept visiting the church, and our relationship was not damaged, because we all need to understand that sometimes we need some correction. And that is part of having or doing everything decently and in order. So when we are moving in that way, we're going, we going to see a lot of harmony in the body of Christ and we will be really growing in the Lord. The fact that the word order is mentioned here lets us see that each part of the service has a specific time and place. Okay, decently and in order means that every part of the service has a specific time and place. When we are worshiping, we just worship. We just focus on the Lord and we just glorify our God. When it is time to move in the gifts of the Holy Spirit, we move in the gifts of the Holy Spirit. When the time comes for preaching or teaching, we just preach and teach. Because everything is done decently and in order. And that is very important for us to understand because that will help us to have harmony in every service. Real harmony may come when we understand that the things are coming decently and in order. Now, the outcome. We've, I've talked about the origin, the operation in two parts, the first part yesterday, the second part today. Now we're going to talk about the outcome of the gifts of the Holy Spirit. When we operate in the gifts of the Holy Spirit as one body, we will achieve this beautiful unity. Okay? If we are moving correctly in the gifts of the Holy Spirit, unity will come. We all are going to be dismissed and we will feel... Great, I'm not alone. Great, 
There is people here in the church that loves me. I know that God spoke through that brother, through that sister, through the preacher, through the worship team, uh, through that person that approached to me later, later in, the, uh, in the service. And then I feel that there is a wonderful unity in this church. I've heard and I've read many times uh, comments of, of uh, people that say, when a new person comes into a church, in the first five minutes of being there, they know if they are going to come back or not. It is not, in five minutes you cannot analyze the worship or cannot analyze the quantity or quality of the preaching or the teaching. But five minutes is enough for a, a person that comes in the church to feel if, that, if the church is in unity or not. People are sensitive to that. If they come in and everybody looks back and kind of shows not a very good face, they immediately feel there is no unity. But if we have the unity of the Holy Spirit and the unity of moving together with the rest of the service and the gifts of the Holy Spirit in one place, we will achieve that precious unity. And I want to tell you something more important than many other things is that our church is moving in the precious unity of the Holy Spirit. Ephesians 4, verses 4 to 6 says, There is one body and one spirit, just as we were called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, uh, who is above all and through all and in you all. So unity is something so important more important than achieving individual uh, goals is that we achieve unity. Another thing that is the right outcome of the moving in the gifts of the Holy Spirit is that we see the supernatural in our natural needs. Healings, miracles, signs, and wonders are the proof that we're really moving in the power of the Holy Spirit. If nothing supernatural happens, we are not really moving in the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Okay? So, it is supernatural. It is not something that you and I can do. If you can do it, if you can produce it, it is not the Holy Spirit. If it is within your ability, your capacity to do things, it is not the Holy Spirit. Every time the gifts of the Spirit move, they are supernatural. You cannot do it. You cannot reproduce it. You cannot do it again and again. That's why prophecy has to be judged. Because we can invent things. We can create things in our mind. That's why prophecy has to be judged. Because it could be from the Lord, it could be from the Holy Spirit, but it also can be from ourselves or an infiltration of an evil spirit that wants to talk. Right? So, the right outcome of moving in the gifts of the Holy Spirit is that there is supernatural. Now, there are many reactions that people may have or may not have when the Holy Spirit moves. But those reactions are not the Holy Spirit, but the way people react to God's presence. So we cannot say that the Holy Spirit made them do that. So some people are very emotional. And when they are 
touched by the Holy Spirit, they react very emotionally. But it is not that the Holy Spirit makes them do that. It is just the way people react to the touch of the Holy Spirit. So we need to understand that emotions or reactions, bodily reactions in the, in the people are not the, the work of the Holy Spirit himself, but the way people react to those things. I will mention some. Being, laying, being slain in the spirit, shaking, trembling, falling to the knees, crying, laughing, being drunk in the spirit, and such things are not produced by the Holy Spirit. These are just ways the people react to the touch of God. Okay? Gifts of the Holy Spirit are supernatural. I've been in, in services where 90% of the people fall or are slain in the Spirit, as they call, and some others don't. We, we don't say, we don't believe that the Holy Spirit puts you down. Maybe you feel faint, too faint when the, you, you receive the touch of the Holy Spirit. Okay, I understand that. And that can happen. And you may be, feel overwhelmed by the presence of God and you may fall. And people will catch you and sit you down, pray for you. But that's the way you react to the presence of God, to the presence of the Holy Spirit. But it is not the Holy Spirit pushing you down and throw you down to the ground. If you shake, it's because you feel and some, somehow your body is reacting to that presence of God, but it is not a gift of the Holy Spirit. It is not supernatural. The Holy Spirit is not doing it in you. And all of the other things that the churches have, like crying, laughing, and all, all of the other things, are reactions of the person, whether in the soul or in the body, when they receive the touch of God. When people believe that these reactions are the Holy Spirit doing those things in them, it is where they miss the point and other manifestations that are not from God may infiltrate, like growling, howling, and many other uncontrollable emotions that people have. Okay, so we need to have this clear discernment because the gifts of the Holy Spirit are supernatural. And all, all these other things that happen to people is not the Holy Spirit doing them. It's themselves reacting to that. And when they don't have the right discernment, they may accept other things that are infiltrations. I, I don't believe that someone that is howling or growling is the Holy Spirit moving in them. That, that's scary. That, that doesn't sound good. That does not bring edification. And if a person enters the congregation and see everybody, you know, doing those things, they'll just go away. Because that's not bringing edification. That's not the Holy Spirit doing the things in them. That's them. So when you don't have the right discernment in these things, you may accept all the things that are not from the Holy Spirit, that are not mental, but infiltrations of evil spirits that want to twist 
and want to infiltrate and want to destroy the work of God. That's why Paul was very, very clear and very specific. Gifts of the Spirit, this nine. And we went from the Bible from the very beginning, Genesis chapter 1, all through the prophets, all through the judges, all through the kings, uh, Howard, I mean, um, Howard, still remember him. Uh, Alan talked about uh, different examples in the Old Testament. I did some. All of them align always with the supernatural nine gifts of the Holy Spirit. The rest of the manifestations, we cannot say it is the Holy Spirit, but it is the people reacting to those things. So we need to understand that the right outcome of the gifts of the Holy Spirit is supernatural. And I will tell you something else. God will never make our bodies to do something that we cannot control. Okay? God will never make something in our bodies do it, do something with our bodies that we can't control. That's very important. Healing is supernatural. Of course, you can't control healing, but it's supernatural, right? A limb grows when there was no arm. Well, praise God. But God will never make my body do something that I cannot control. That's very good. And that's very important. Because if we allow those things to happen, then some other ideas and some other things will begin to happen, and then you don't have anything, anything be done decently and in order. The problem with the Corinthians that Paul approached is that, as you can read through all chapter 14 in 1 Corinthians, is that they spoke in tongues and spoke in tongues and spoke in tongues and spoke in tongues all the time. There was no edification, there was no prophecy, there was no interpretation. They were speaking and speaking and speaking and speaking in tongues all the time. That's why he in 1 Corinthians 14 many times says, but in the church I come and I rather speak for edification. He does not cancel the speaking in tongues, but gives us a specific time and place where we can speak in tongues and how the Holy Spirit will move in the gift of speaking in tongues with interpretation. But he says, if an unbeliever comes in, and the only thing he says, he hears, is speaking in tongues all the time, for one hour or two, what would they say? These guys are crazy. It is not the speaking in tongues or canceling the speaking in tongues that Paul wants to address in that letter, it is the exaggeration and the lack of order and the lack of timing of speaking in tongues that Paul is addressing in 1 Corinthians 14. That's why he says, if an unbeliever comes in and the only thing he hears is speaking in tongues, he will just go away and say, these people are crazy. But if he hears prophecy, what will happen to him? That the secrets of his heart will be revealed and falling to his knees, he will confess that God is really among yourselves. Okay? So it is very important for us to understand service is the gathering together of the body of Christ 
And we need to see that everything is done decently and in order, that when God moves in the supernatural, is the gifts of the Holy Spirit, and the gifts of the Holy Spirit will bring the power of God. We need to also understand, as, as uh, Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 14, 22 to 25, that tongues and prophecy have their place and must be taken into consideration, but everything, everything in its own order and we will see the right outcome in everything we do. So when everything is as its own time and place, we will see the right results. Yes, tongues are a sign for the unbelievers, but signs are only to attract the attention of the unbelievers. Other, <coughs> after the sign is there, there must be interpretation or a prophecy in the language that the person will understand so the purpose of God may be achieved. So when you understand, signs are, uh, tongues are a sign for the unbelievers. Yes, they are attracted. But then the prophecy comes, the ministry comes, the teaching comes, the worship comes, then they are touched by God and they understand that God is in that place. So, conclusion. The right out outcome is when people will fall on their knees and declare that God is certainly among us. When we are having the right outcome, we will grow spiritually. We will see more and more of the supernatural power of the Holy Spirit in our congregation. And then we will grow in the things of the Spirit. Okay? So all of these things, when we move in the Holy Spirit and we do it in the right way, and we uh, do it orderly, and we do it in submission, and we do it in humility, and we do it in all of these things, we will see that we grow spiritually. And moving in the gifts of the Holy Spirit requires practice. It's not going to happen at the first time. It's not gonna, you're not going to do it right at the first time. But as we grow with all of these principles that they are very clearly explained by Paul in the, in the New Testament, we will begin to grow spiritually. Uh, Hebrews says that the Hebrews... After such time, so much time, they should be teachers, but they, are, they were still babes because they didn't have the senses exercised in the discernment in the good and evil. Their senses, the spiritual senses, were not growing because they were not moving rightly in the things of the Spirit. So the important thing that we're trying to minister to you today is that there is a supernatural of God that we must desire, that we must receive, and that we must all be part of what God is doing in the supernatural and not to focus in any other things. You know, when in my church, someone is just touched by the Holy Spirit in such a way that he falls or she falls to the ground, well, praise the Lord. We just lift her or him aside and we continue focusing on the Lord. We don't take our eyes off the Lord to watch what that person is doing or not doing. Praise the Lord. If he or she is being blessed like that, glory to God. 
I don't have a problem with that. But many times those things just distract us from focusing on the Lord and we focus on what the people are doing and we are not to do that. If they want to feel like that or they feel like that or whatever happened to them, praise the Lord. Let them enjoy it. But let not lose the focus on the things of God. So the right outcome of moving in the gifts of the Holy Spirit is unity, edification or growth, manifestation of the supernatural, and worship. This means that God be glorified. What's next? We need to move in the gifts of the Holy Spirit. We, need a, we have a very good leadership. We have a pastor, elders. We have people that are mature in the Lord that can help us move together. But the next step is that we move in the gifts of the Holy Spirit.